Hello, my name is Barbara Luna, and you are listening to Women at Warp. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With me today, I've got Andy. Hello. Uh, Jera. Except for it's actually evil Jera with a goatee. Oh, <laughs> no. Real Jera couldn't make it. Prime Does that Jera. mean our spe- are we, do we have the evil version of our special guest also? Yes, because I have really stellar abs right now. <laughs> with us also is our special guest, Ruman. Hi, you guys. And before we get into our main topic, I'm just going to butt in and remind you all about the Women at Work Patreon, which we use to support the show by uh, doing promotion, convention recording, paying for our hosting and various other expenses and contributors on our blog and stuff like that. So if you're able to support us, you can hop over to patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash women at warp and pledge a small donation. And in exchange, you get access to cool bonus content and other perks like that. So thanks a lot for considering donating and to everyone who already donates. You keep us afloat. Now today's main topic, we are boldly going where no facial hair and crop tops have gone before. The Mirror Universe. (laughs) One of the longest running and most widely recognized concepts from Star Trek. Now the first episode we get as a start is Mirror Mirror, which was written by, uh, Relatively important sci-fi writer Jerome Bixby, known for The Twilight Zone, a few other Star Trek episodes such as Requiem for Methuselah, and also the and also the fa- screenplay for The Fantastic Voyage. Ah, did not yeah. know that. Now you know. No now see, no, because it. Grace came out here with behind-the-scenes Star Trek history facts. That means, Jera, that at some point today you have to do murder trivia. <laughs> you guys are switching roles today. You have to do murder trivia. Okay. I only know this crap because Jerome Bixby wrote the scariest episode of The Twilight Zone, so. You know, a little one of the cornfield kid. Oh. Spooky, spooky, I was going to say a different word, but now I'm going to say spooky scraps. Yes. (laughs) Keeping our family-friendly rating. But anyway, the original, very iconic episode, Mirror, Mirror, where members of the crew get in a transporter accident and end up swapping places with their counterparts in a more evil universe. Or just a more misguided universe. It, it depends on your, on your ideological philosophies, really. Or just a sexier universe. Definitely. <laughs> Again, the universe where the crop top reigns supreme. Where men are men and women are wearing crop tops. And women are ripped. <laughs> like every woman has a set of abs. It's awesome. Can we talk about the one benefit of the mirror universe is that just all the women are just so ripped. Yeah. <laughs> no Pilates required. So we've talked about this episode a couple times. I know we talked about it in our episode on Uhura, as well as our episode on Kirk's love interests. It's a hard episode to to not talk about when you're talking about the original series. I feel like it's it's one of those, it's probably in my top five, and it's one yes. of those like classic episodes that even if you don't know Star Trek that well, you at least have some passing familiarity with like the evil goatee and stuff like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely... An- 
again, very iconic episode, really commonly included on people's top lists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, evil goatee is its own little subculture. It is, really. But then again, most goatees are evil. <laughs> I don't know. I think that they're not quite as evil as soul patches. But... <laughs> Isn't a soul patch just a type of goatee, though? That is true. I just like the idea of a visual cue to let you know that you're in the darkest timeline. Totally. <laughs> Maybe the goatee is a mir- from a mirror mirror universe where everyone is just kind of ambivalent but plays a lot of hacky sack. <laughs> just a thought. Just a thought. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, right away when they get to this universe, you kind of know something's up. And part of that is the costumes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so in the book Star Trek Costumes by Paula and Block and Terry J. Erdman, uh, they talk about how the costumes created for Mirror Mirror suggested the hedonistic lifestyle of the alternate universe. And they look at like the, the gold sashes that the men wear. Um, that's pretty much the only difference other than, um, Spock has this weird kind of collar. He has a Mandarin collar going on, yeah. Yeah, in a recent um, post on our blog, the, there was a discussion about whether the collar that Spock wears is kind of Orientalist, um, because it's different than everyone else's, and Spock is always kind of coded as, like, the alien other. Yeah, I could see That's that. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. I really enjoyed again, that I- blog post. She really, she really dove deep. There's also just, like, a, a general kind of fascist look to their uniforms very the the sashes help with that yeah Yeah. very militaristic i think more beauty pageant but okay (laughs) are you saying that beauty pageants aren't fascist (laughs) i mean i I think the whole dagger stabbing through the earth thing was a little (laughs) no in case the sashes weren't enough we have a dagger stabbing through the earth just to bring this home for you Mm mm-hmm you gotta wonder who hasn't had a point where they looked at it and like, hang on, are we fascists? <laughs> are we the baddies? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, the fascism, I think, gets in Mirror Mirror, the most clearly it's illustrated is in um, the, like, the salute that they give, mm-hmm, which yeah. is very reminiscent of a Nazi salute. And, the shoulder heil, yeah. Yeah, and you start to see more overt and repeated allusions to fascism in the i think the the uh, the next ones like the ds9 and enterprise episodes yeah um but it's starting to be there yeah i mean it's also very reminiscent of the times right um cold war etc so it was it was a lot more on people's minds and a very salient topic of discussion maybe to us it's out it feels a little little too obvious but for the times you know it was on par with how media talked about fascist governments or you know alternative governments even not even fascist ones Mm -hmm. i think that it's just to take a a quick step back that one of the things that i found when i first started trying to analyze the mirror universe is i found it was challenging because I was used to watching Prime Universe Star Trek, which is supposed to be kind of a vision of how things could be better. So you can kind of evaluate it about, like, is this actually what we would consider better? Or how much better is it really? But then the Mirror Universe isn't supposed to be like that. So, I mean, you can look at it as what is it saying about what it means to be evil or bad? And what does it mean that this is Star Trek's definition of a reverse utopia? Mm-hmm. A dystopia, that's the word. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, Marlena and, like, the idea of a captain's woman who is this woman who basically is property of the captain to provide sexual favors. But, like, Star Trek isn't saying it's good, but it's, like, titillating, right? Apparently, at one point, there were some groups that were like, oh, captain's woman, like an official captain girlfriend. That's cool. That should be a regular thing. What? To which a bunch of the producers had to send letters to these groups being like, ask your parents what a captain's woman is. I don't think you're getting it. You assume they were children. Yes. <laughs> well, let's just tell ourselves that. Yeah, I'm happier thinking that. Well, and when we look at Marlena's costume, uh, we talked about this in the Kirk Love Interest episode, that the sort of like draped fabric that she wears was apparently because she got really, really ill and couldn't eat. And she was so thin, she couldn't fit that like crop toppy uniform at first. And so she says in the Star Trek costumes book that uh, Bill Thais rushed right over to the set carrying something. He took me into the corner, hurriedly handed me a bikini to change into, and then quickly draped material around me. And that's all what we were, or that's what we wound up with. This beautiful caftan made of very sheer material. Bill didn't use any tape or anything. He just draped it on me. It does look fabulous. Yeah. That's some Project Runway level improvisation there. Make it work! <laughs> hey oh is that Starfleet's new motto? Because I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah, is this, um, do you think it's the same cold? Because there's always the story about how uh, Barbara Luna, the actress playing Marlena, um, had strep throat, so they had to sh- uh, hold off on sh- uh, filming yep. the kiss scene so they mm-hmm. wouldn't infect Shatner. Apparently it was related. It's funny how one cold can have that much effect on pop culture. Fun fact, Jerry and I answered a trivia question about this at Star Trek Las Vegas. They're like, and the the category was something like, don't you don't get to Google it or whatever, or memory, don't look it up on a memory alpha, I think. And we're like, we don't have to, we know. <laughs> it was which, which character had to have their costume re- or like refit or something because oh. they got really, really sick. And we were like, we know, we know yeah. the answer. <laughs> Oh, a caftan-related trivia question? We're all over that. Uh, So Uhura in this episode is amazing, and I love it so much. This is part of the reason why I think it would be in your top five, and definitely my top five, is it's just, like, so awesome to watch Uhura sort of catapulted into this really unfamiliar situation and just totally own it. And just the amount of trust that the crew shows they have in her, just that little bit where Kirk is like, you can do this. You're the only person who can do this. I trust you 100%. So cool. I also have a huge soft spot for women with knives as <laughs> evidenced by my my love of Marta is enough. <laughs> and I like it when uh was it Elon of Troyes stabs people like I I just I have a, a thing about sexy women with knives, I guess. Well, part of their whole logo is a giant knife, so this is just the universe for you, isn't it? I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> oh man, I'm way overanalyzing that logo now. <laughs> knife world, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I love this episode. I think it is, um, you know, it's a really fascinating, um, you know, kind of like '60s edgy look at what an evil human universe might look like and such a 60s sci-fi concept too yeah yeah for sure it's an interesting way of exploring that concept and still sticking to a star trek message because you have that ending where kirk 
is telling Spock, like, basically, you could do this differently. My favorite thing is that the big closeout we get with Spock at the end of it, he's like, you can change everything. One man can change everything. And they leave and Spock just goes, I'll consider it. (laughs) Just like the big dramatic send off is, I'll think about it, I guess, (laughs) maybe. If I have the time. I just think that this episode is like, showcases everything that can be amazing about Star Trek. You've got, you know, the heart of it being Kirk and Spock and their relationship. And I love that Spock, other real Spock, our Spock, takes one look at Mira Kirk and is like, no. He knows something's up. (laughs) That's not our captain. Put that dude in jail. (laughs) I think this is also just one of the most well put together visually episodes just that open the opening tableau alone of all of them on the alien planet and they all just look up at the thunder and lightning and you know that there's they're in the middle of something serious you're just being dropped in the middle of a conversation that's already happening and you just roll with it it's so well done and i love it both for the theatricality of it and again it's just you jump right into the story and i think it's done so smoothly and so well that's a spicy meatball yeah the colors and the costumes and the guest stars and i mean the lighting uh you know how much i love tos lighting but this is just such a great example and the wigs by god the wigs the wigs (laughs) but also at the heart of it it's not just a fun episode it's a serious look at you know where where the human race could go wrong if we make the wrong decisions. Because the whole idea of Star Trek has, to me, always been about optimism for the future, about humanity improving itself. And this is kind of a cautionary tale. Like, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens because you make the right choices and you decide what you want to value in your society. And if you, you know, turn the wrong way or value the wrong values, you're going to end up in a place like the Mirror Universe, which, where they may have great abs and awesome sexy women with knives, but also lots of fascism. That's the trade-off, really. Yeah, we can have one without the other. Exactly. Well... I think that one of the things that, again, like, is just a seedling in Mirror Mirror, but that gets amplified going forward is how fascism is associated with racism. And in the Mirror Universe episodes, like, that it is, it's racism against particular types of aliens rather than races of humans as we think of it. Which has always been kind of a thing with Star Trek, using aliens as a stand-in for real-life political and social problems. Just having an mm-hmm. alien stand-in for racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we start to sort of see that the way that Spock is kind of like an outsider in the Mirror Universe as well, even though he has power. And uh, obviously we'll see that amplified going forward a little bit. Oh, absolutely. But that's hush-hush for now. Yes. <laughs> Any f- other thoughts on Mirror Mirror before we move to DS9? Another seedling I'd like to point out that really grows to fruition in the DS9 episodes is the way that they have um, combined sex and violence, Mm, and especially female sexuality and violence. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we see it way more later, but it starts here, as much as I love Uhura and her knives. Also, Marlena just straight up saying, well, this is the position I want to keep. I'll sleep my way through another crew if I have to, to keep it. Yeah, and it's just, as much as I love this episode, it is kind of an uncomfortable concept to me. This idea that one of the ways that they show that this universe is, like, a bad place is all of the women are hypersexual. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole hedonism is naturally part of this evil society thing. Not great. Yeah. I totally agree. And that's definitely one of the like more problematic elements is, you know, when you're looking at someone becoming evil, why does that mean women become sexual? <laughs> they yeah. said, oh, you have sexual desire. Like, okay. But in... That's an evil thing, clearly. In the uh, blog post that Ellie Francis wrote on our uh, our blog, uh, she talks about how, like, in the 60s, because of still, like, changing roles for women, that did seem like a more, like, a more challenging idea that to have women express, like, flaunt their sexuality like that would have still been, like, a bigger difference from society, whereas then when you get to the later episodes, it's like, what? This is weird. <laughs> a what? <laughs> and I mean, and it's no no small thing that Ohura is a black woman doing that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marlena Barbara Luna is also a woman of color, and one of the things that she said about this role that was she really appreciated was that the role was not racialized. Like she was used to being cast in these like ethnic roles, quote unquote, where she'd have to like fake an accent or fake a culture. And they're like, oh, we just want you to play this role. It's just like a woman who does these things. So certainly like a gendered role, but not necessarily a racialized role, but she is a woman of color with an overt sexuality. Right. Yes. And and abs. And yes. Abs. Let's not forget abs. Always abs. <laughs> uh well fabulous. Maybe before we get to DS9, just like a super quick touch on, I think we mentioned it in the Diane Dwayne episode. Dark Mirror! Dark yes. Mirror! Dark Mirror! Dark Mirror! I think Andy wants to talk about Dark Mirror. Okay, so TNG doesn't have a Mirror Universe episode, but Diane Dwayne did write a TNG Mirror Universe book, and it's awesome, and you should read it. Yeah, and Troy's basically like a psychic torturer like she uses her empathic abilities for evil she is hardcore man hardcore yeah and that's currently an arc that idw has going on uh in the star trek comics about next generation mirror universe yeah it's 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 interesting because you've got picard like mirror picard and troy are basically locked in a battle for control over the Enterprise, because she's, like, the security officer or something, something, like, internal security or whatever. So, like, technically, Picard is in charge, but she's constantly undermining him, and they're playing all of these power struggle games. It's so cool. And if you want to see some incredible, scary, evil lady outfits, again, check the comic out. (laughs) Because, damn. Plus Picard's guns. And... Kind of Borg-looking data. Pretty cool. It's cool all around, is what I'm saying. All right. So shall we DS9 it up? Sure. I'm feeling fine about DS9. <laughs> so the first DS9 Mirror Universe episode we get is Crossover, in which we learned that Kirk's speech to Spock basically led the entire Terran Empire to become weaklings. And peace won out, and the Klingon-Cardassian alliance has taken over... And uh, they they got a station on Terok Nor, and it is run by sexy Intendant Kira. Leather pants and leather crop top Intendant Kira. Well, not a crop top, really. It's like a It's a crop top suit. over a jumpsuit. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, like sort of leather straps and massive heels and this like hilarious uh, kind of silver Pseudo headband. Tiara. Yeah. It is so obviously, like, a homage to, like, Dame culture, yeah. but, like, 
poorly done. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is what I think these women wear. Like, Fifty Shades of Grey before Fifty Shades yeah, of Grey. Yeah, the people yeah. who would read Fifty Shades of Grey and be like, yeah, that sounds right. Seems like an accurate representation of this culture. <laughs> Although Nana Visitor does look great in those leather pants. She is gorgeous. She is, yes, absolutely. So, Andy, what was your first impression of DS9 Mirror Universe, having, you know, seen, just become acquainted with it recently? The first thing that I remember is laughing at how annoyed Kira was by Bashir. Oh my god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and one of the first things that I tweeted was a side-by-side comparison of Kira and Bashir in there, and then back in the day when uh, O'Brien and Bashir still hated each other, <laughs> and like them both sitting there just like rolling their eyes while Bashir's like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> I'm delightful, listen to me yammer. I'm going to be loud while you meditate. Can we count the number of sentences he starts with the word actually? (laughs) I love when he gets, so like they send him to the ore processing plant on Terraknor because Terrans are slaves, basically. Also, can we enjoy the fact that Kira just refers to regular Bashir as (laughs) dumb and privileged? Yeah, basically she... She's like, don't kill him. He's a super privileged Terran who needs to learn how the other half lives. <laughs> and you're like, kind of, yes. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Bashir. Watching these episodes, the dirtier his face gets, the more attractive I find him. <laughs> I buy it, yeah. The thing about Bashir is, and the reason that I actually love him after a season of just being like, send that dude into space, um was that when Bashir is tested, that's when he's at his best. So, like, he's yeah. at his worst when he's just, like, puttering around DS9 being a douche. And, like, when he's actually thrown into the shit, like, he comes through. And I saw that, too, in, in um, Past Tense. Yeah. Is another good example of, like, when he's tested, that's when you see his steel, and that's when I start to really like Bashir, and you can see his, yeah. like, growth through that, and it beco- actually becomes very interesting, because the beginning of DS9, he's this sheltered little rich boy who is, you know, hanging out in front the frontier... He's slumming it as far as he's concerned, yeah. Exactly, and... See how the natives do things out here. (laughs) Yeah, and it's just, it's cool to see him grow as he's exposed to more and more things, and as he, you know, finds out more about himself and the world. So I've actually found it to be a a really cool arc, and one I didn't see coming, really, because I just thought he was awful. Bashir's evolution is is really great. And I also love that he gets into that place, and the first thing he's, like, as soon as O'Brien sees him, they haven't met, but for some reason, O'Brien's like, yeah, him. That dude. That's my dude right there. Like, the mirror universe cannot tear them apart. Their bromance (laughs) is too strong. (laughs) It's a truism across all universes, all times. (laughs) Aww. That and Garrick just not having time for anyone's shit. (laughs) Yeah, like in DS9, a lot of the characters aren't that different, actually. Like, Quark is basically the same, but more timid, maybe? Um, Garrick is 
basically just more amoral, but basically the same otherwise. <laughs> and Cisco is scary as hell. I love Mirror Cisco, and it makes me really sad that they killed him off for the second episode because I would have liked to see more of him. And he's also like that tie into that original series, like, um, type message of hope for, in this case, like the Terrans should resist the slavery of the Empire or Alliance, rather. Sorry, Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and, but he uh, he starts out as kind of like this scary kind of pirate working for Intendant Kira, and he's, he does it so well. Yeah, he's just kind of like given into his fate and has sort of convinced himself he's happy with what little power he has, but he's still basically a slave. And you get to see Avery Brooks unleash the full crazy eyes, and it's incredible. It's great. And Miro O'Brien's just really timid. Smiley. <laughs> so back to the fascist thing, because here, you know, we get the, like, very clear racism against the Terrans to the point that there's a lot of similarities to the Bajoran occupation and then to also the treatment of Jews and other marginalized yeah. minority groups in World War II. They have to, like, wear these badges that show, ter like, the planet Earth on their shirts um, to show that they're Terrans and things like that that are... Uh, sort of underlining that this is like a serious situation. Yeah, and DS Nine does it a couple of times, right? When they when they talk about the way it was under Tarek Noor and uh, you know the Bajoran concentration camps, basically, and and this universe as well, they do a really good job of of imagining that very uh, not so far away scenario from our past in in the future, and it's really compelling. Because mm -hmm. you have like Kira who worked in the, she's like, oh, I've worked in aura processing because she did during the occupation. And now like Bashir and the humans are forced to work there. Mm -hmm. It really is kind of a case of in different ways, seeing how the other half lived. But for, for Kira, it's like, yeah, I, this is how I have lived. Yeah, I do think it, it, you know, flipping the tables on the Terrans has kind of two outcomes. One is, like you said, it. I think it does make it more able for the audience to empathize with the oppressed group mm -hmm. um, because you're like, oh, that's totally unfair. Those are like humans like us, but they were their society tried to do the right thing stupidly. Yeah. But then it, maybe it makes you less able to understand how the evil side got evil. I don't know. I feel like it is only with this stuff that's um, further exploring the mirror universe um, post original series where we really get it driven home that um, this fascist society doesn't just pop up overnight, that it just was a result of some bad decisions being made. And I like that better than the idea of an entire universe being just inherently evil, mm -hmm. just a place where things went wrong. I feel like we need to talk more about Intendant Kira. And I mean, I guess in crossover, <laughs> it's also... Akira centric, like a non, a prime universe Kira centric episode because she's like kind of using Intendant Kira's narcissism against her or attempting to. And she's put in the situation where she's seeing this mirror of herself. And then Intendant Kira is all basically like, I love you. I love me. Yeah. I have to say that it's really disappointing to me that. You have Intendant Kira apparently being bisexual or maybe pansexual, mm -hmm. and then that's nowhere to be seen in our universe, but apparently over there, like, just her sexuality became more fluid because she was more evil. I don't know. Yeah. I, and it really bothers me because one of the tropes of bisexuals is that they were untrustworthy. 
and promiscuous. Right, or sexual predators. Yeah, exactly. So get that one a lot. That didn't make me happy, and I wanted to be happy about Kira being mad sexy because I like sexy Kira, but just the way that they have framed it, it, they made like her sexuality a part of her villainness. Yep, it's an aggression. Yeah, and uh, it makes me really uncomfortable and also frustrated because this this is the reason why people. Like, people will literally say they will not date bisexuals because of stuff like this. Like, this this perception of... Because they're just people who can't make up their minds or who want it all or... Can't be trusted. Sexual fluidity is some sort of sign of moral fluidity. Yes. Again, with this, we get a whole throwback to the whole problem with the original series episode that sexuality is inherently hedonistic and bad. Yeah. Yeah. So like her her bisexuality combined with her like dame inspired outfit, the whole thing just makes me uncomfortable and yeah. disappointed. Yeah. Yep. I I think that Nana Visitor does an incredible job like giving incredible um change to her character in terms of her physicality and her voice and um I think she she does a, a really great job with what she's given there. Um, so there's like scenes that I do really enjoy, but I agree that the the implications of her her sexuality and um, it, it just yeah you're right it has like seriously <laughs> problematic implications if you think about it and try and like apply it to. Um, how we think about people today. Oh, now I'm angry again. But I, I just want to say another thing that I want to add about this is that bisexuals are more likely to be involved in domestic abuse. Mm. So mm-hmm. this like connection between bisexuality and violence, it, that's another reason why it makes me uncomfortable. It is very harmful. Just look at what happened to Amber Heard and how so much of her divorce coverage was preceded with bisexual woman divorces and mm-hmm. accuses Johnny Depp of hitting her. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, and she was actually exactly who I was thinking about when when I was thinking about this because so much of the coverage about that it was not only tinged by the general misogyny that usually accompanies that kind of coverage, like women lie kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but also she obviously must have done something and it was obviously tied to her sexuality that their their marriage you know, went wrong and stuff like that. So this this kind of idea does active harm to people. So maybe we could stop it if possible. Any writers out there listening, be aware of this, please. Yeah. And then, like you said, the, the whole, you know, it's really contrasted by the fact that we, you know, didn't other than Dax and Rejoin get bisexual or pansexual or otherwise queer characters really regularly on the show that presented this is like, hey, this is just a normal thing. So it's only shown in this abnormal, amoral universe. So just um, a couple other things that I want to say about her character is just um, like what really struck me watching it was just how kind of deluded she is about herself. And she's so narcissistic. <laughs> she is um, like this the whole thing where she 
you know, Prime Cure is saying, like, I'm afraid of you. And she's like, I don't want your fear. I want your love. And she keeps letting people like Cisco and stuff go because she's attracted to them and she wants to believe she can make them love her. But at the same time, she's telling Prime Cure to love her. She's, like, just going to go execute Quark over here. Which so- is very scary because isn't that um- – Andy, cover your ears for a second. Hum loudly, something. Isn't that uh, kind of a conversation we get uh, with Gold Ducat and his views of the Bajorans? And he's like, I just want them to appreciate all I do for them and love me for it. Yeah. That's part of what makes that really scary. It's, yeah. it's a common thing among oppressors, right, to to mm-hmm. infantilize the people you are oppressing. Um you know, they, they couldn't live without me, without the structure I've given them. They don't know how to handle themselves so when I came whole- here mentality of colonialism is we helped them we saved them from themselves right yeah and we see that even more in the next mirror universe episode uh through the looking glass where she's talking about you know if only the rebellion would stop then we could stop being so harsh to them yeah it's their fault we treat them this way yeah oh that narrative that we've heard uttered from a lot of dangerous people's mouths over time yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward abuser tactics. I yeah. wouldn't have to hate you if you didn't make me so angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I apologize, but I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. conditional apologies. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in through the looking glass, um, Smiley kidnaps <laughs> Cisco from the Prime Universe and brings him back because Mirror Cisco is dead, sadly, because he was awesome, and uh, he wants Mirror Cisco to talk Mirror Jennifer Cisco into joining the rebellion and not building a weapon of mass destruction for the alliance. I mean, okay, maybe can I just like get the worst part of this episode out of the way, which yeah. is the part which at least in my opinion where undercover Cisco sleeps with Mirror Jedzia. Um, <laughs> not okay. Yeah, not so like okay. he's basically been briefed by O'Brien for like 15 20 minutes on like here's you have to convince everyone you're mirror cisco and right away uh he has to punch mirror bashir which is like mirror bashir is way worse than prime bashir in terms of being a jerk so you know in that universe kind of justified i guess but then mirror dax like kisses him and then slaps him and o'brien's like yeah she's your mistress and he he kind of lamely protests, like, maybe, you know, I have a lot to do. I don't really have time to sleep with you right now. And she just is kind of like, nope. And he's like, yeah, you're right, and sleeps with her. Kirk didn't go that far. Yeah. Because in the context of their relationship, she's, like, his mentor and, yeah. like, a father figure, right? Her her previous yeah. was his father figure. There's all sorts of Oedipal things happening, none of which I'm okay with. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that... It makes it seem like the only reason Dax is even in that episode is so Cisco can sleep with her. Yeah. Gross. She is I mean, she doesn't do anything do. else yeah. in that episode. She shows up, Cisco sleeps with her, and then she leaves. Yep. So sleeping with someone under false pretenses is sexual assault. It's called coercive rape, yes. A Starfleet officer should have that that like amount that he protested was so minimal that it seemed like he, the minute he saw her he was just like mm, which is gross Super and on Cisco like very yeah. uncharacteristic yeah very on Cisco he's so on the up and up and he's always a gentleman to women and 
treats women so well. And like when Cassidy comes along, the way he talks to her, the way he treats her, um, even when they argue and disagree, has always been pretty darn good. Uh, and to see this very uncharacteristic theme, and it's and what's worse, it's almost under the guise of oh, I'm supposed to be a bad guy, kind of like oh, I was drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, don't know, you know, my faculties. No, you're still responsible. You're still responsible. You are still in control here, and you took control. Yeah, and and I mean, like talking about how he's generally um, not like that remotely to other women. Um, the whole way that like Jennifer Cisco sees through him is that he she understands that he's a guy with principles, which Mirror Cisco didn't have. So it's it's just very uncool. So it kind of it kind of taints the episode for me. But yeah, but in this episode, so we have Mirror Jennifer Cisco, who we meet for the first time. And I don't know, I'm kind of meh. I'm like, she's a scientist. But this is, I mean, I guess part of what we're saying about Deep Space Nine not making the characters very different. We don't know a ton about Jennifer, but we know she's like the nicest woman that ever lived, basically, because she's this, you know, angelic, um, missing mother figure, kind of. And she's very much like mythologized because she's no longer alive. And then she's just kind of like the same. I just kind of wanted like something interesting out of her other than being pissed at Cisco. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. And, and, and it feeds into, you know, both Jake and, you know, his father idolizing this woman. And who knows if she really was like that in real life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who knows what terrible arguments they would have gotten into and, you know, whether or not he and she and Jake would be fight all the time about stupid things, you know, just the way kids do with their parents, right? Not and she would have been a bad parent or anything, but that... Maybe the implication here is that prime Jennifer was actually a huge jerk. <laughs> and that the reverse version of her is just super nice and cool and all that. Yeah, and just because we only ever saw, like, two scenes of her, and Cisco and Jacob just, like, in their minds, reimagined her that she was really nice. Yeah. Oh, that's dark. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's about all I have to say about that episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, they get themselves kidnapped um, so that they can get Jennifer off the station, and they ultimately succeed, and then Cisco goes back home. Yep. Hooray! Now, apparently, I get to leave you because you get to talk about Worf, which, what? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, uh, thank you for joining us, Andy. We'll uh, look forward to revisiting these when you're done DS9. Woo! Can't wait. All right, bye, guys. Bye. Later, Skata. All right, Shattered Mirror, Regent Worf, Garamon. Worf getting to be full Klingon. <laughs> right? That's yeah. the thing. I mean, I love, I'm rewatching TNG and my big, you know, the, my, the big thing about TNG was for me was that Worf never got to be actualized as, as his Klingon self because he always had to be ashamed and deny and, and you know, suppress that part of himself. Right. Or, or felt like he had to, to belong. And the beauty of Worf on DS9 is that he doesn't do that anymore. He's just like, F this. He is totally a born-again Klingon. It's great. <laughs> it's beautiful. And then, you know, here's sort of the dark side of it. But the scene, the big scene is the, the Worf and Garrick with the key. Uh, oh, my gosh. I just love the dynamic between Mirror, uh, Worf, and Garrick. It's terrible. Don't get me wrong. But it's very entertaining. Yes, yes. And I'm like, oh, it was great. Like, well, it wasn't great. But oops, it was in my boot. My bad. Yeah. Stabbed you in the stomach. Meh. Yeah. So that's my, that's my big thing I love about that episode. Yeah. I, I mean, I really like that, you know, he's holding Garrick and they're having these 
sort of mind games and I don't know, I find it's not like a inherently funny situation, but just like knowing those characters, it's kind of awesome. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So this is Shattered Mirror is the episode where Jennifer Sisko comes back to basically kidnap Jake to make Prime Sisko back, go back to the Mirror Universe so that he can help them fix the Defiant, which I don't know why they wouldn't just kidnap Prime O'Brien, because that would be... Prime Brian? Prime yeah. Brian. <laughs> and then, like, fight the Alliance, which they do. And Cisco or Dax slaps Cisco for sleeping with her under false pretenses, which is a nice way of putting that he assaulted her. And Jennifer Cisco gets to die again and be a heavenly yeah. angelic mother figure again. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was really, I was kind of disappointed with both these episodes. I don't know. The mirror universe can be fun that makes you think. And I just felt like it was kind of neither. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was like, you know, haha, let's make these two characters, you know, Ben, Cisco, and Jake miserable again. Exactly. Reliving the pain of, you know, wife's wife or mother dying. And like, how nice was she really that she made Jake go through that? Yeah. It raises a lot of questions. I'm going to bring your dead mom back to life. And then you can, like, get to know her, and then I'm going to kill her again. Like, I know that's not really what exactly what happened, but, like, she had to know there was a strong chance that they could die, she could die. It's kind of a zero-sum game with Jake's emotions, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I gotta, like, think that both of them would have been in therapy for quite a while after that. And I was thinking also, Is like, Jake how... not already in therapy? And how would Jake deal with Kira having seen Intendant Kira shoot his mom? yeah. There was, should have been some real backlash that should have carried over. I would have really liked to see that. That's just something I wish we saw more of in a lot of shows, let's be real. Something terrible happening to a character means a lot more if it isn't just one-off and never spoken of again. If you can make it affect your character long-term rather than just having it be a bad thing that happened to them once, then it carries a lot more gravitas and... Uh, and just keeps your viewers with you for, for the ride a lot better. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed in this episode was um, this one who can meet Evil Mirror Nog. And oh, um, he's like got all these Dabo girls that look yeah. exactly the same as Prime Universe Dabo girls. <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, I guess maybe maybe you could spin that as like that's positive because it shows that there's like maybe some questionableness of that happening in the Prime Universe. Yeah. Or maybe you say it's like more example of showing that sexuality is negative. But yeah, I feel like the Dabo girls, especially in this episode, like when they're used as basically props is like not empowering. No, they really are props. Well, but yeah. I, I, I would like to think towards the positive, which is that by making them almost exactly the same, we are pointing out. And because there's so much more obviously props mm-hmm. in the in, in the mirror universe, it's pointing out that there are flaws in our universe too. It's not like true, well, definitely it's true. It's terrible, right? Like yeah. I said, exploitation yeah. is exploitation. Whether or not you know you pay them a nominal wage that's barely a living wage, or whether you don't. Yeah. Um. So. Um. I, I was slightly disappointed with those two episodes. Yeah. Let's get on to <laughs> what was probably the worst Mirror Universe episode, at least in my opinion. Uh, Resurrection, in which uh. Mirror Burial comes to the main universe uh. and turns out to be pretty much as boring as Prime Burial. Uh. I wouldn't say this is like the most problematic. I'm just saying it's the worst. <laughs> like the one that I least want to watch yeah. again. 
I really want to go to a Dax and Worf hosted dinner party. Yes. That would be super fun. It's so even. Okay. So in near Jennifer, like Jake's like, you guys totally have to get back together. And Cisco's like, she's not the same woman, but they still kind of were connected. And then in this one, it's like right away, she's like dating Mira Burrile. And it's weird. Like that you wouldn't be at all leery of the fact that he looks exactly the same as your lover who just died, except for he's clearly a thief. Girl, you got to be leery like Dennis. Dennis Leary. (laughs) Ooh. No? Okay. Uh... I tried. (laughs) It's weird, okay? It's weird. It is weird. I don't really have a lot to say about this episode. It's kind of like... Brought back Burial. Thanks, no thanks. Let's have a party. Dish. Lieutenant Kira's bad. Mm-hmm. People in the mirror universe can change, but only a little. Funny how that works. So, yeah. Good times. <laughs> I mean, I guess, okay, so can we infer from this episode that there's no Bajoran spirituality in the mirror universe, or just that, like, Burial? I mean, we get Kira still wearing uh, her earring and everything. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like Burial is aware of there being a religion in the mirror yeah. universe, but yeah. he just was like, oh, that's that's crap. So, yeah, okay. Uh, let's move on to the last DS9 mirror universe, The Emperor's New Cloak. Which was actually dedicated to original series episode writer Jerome Bixby, who had passed away right before the episode came out. Nice. Um, I have to say that as a kid, I had this episode on a VHS tape, and I loved this episode. I'm not... Yeah. Like, it's really funny, at least. Um, I think it has a lot more of, like, a ridiculous kind of humor to it than the previous three episodes. This is the one where Quark, Zek, and Rom, they end up in the Mirror Universe trying to steal stuff to bring back to the Prime Universe. Mirror Ezri is there. We also get uh, Mirror Zek, who's really, not not Zek. Brunt. Yeah, Mirror Brunt, who's super yeah. chill. Because a mirror, a Ferengi must die in every Mirror Universe episode. More or less, I guess. No, actually, like, true. I don't think Resurrection, but um, Quark dies in the first one, then Rom, then Nog, and then Zack in the last, or Brunt in the last one. Alas, poor Ferengi, we hardly knew ye. I mean, I guess the most notable aspect of this episode for women is the fact that Intendant Kira seems to have some sort of relationship with Mirror Esri. And then at the end, Mirror Esri is kind of seduced maybe by Mira Lita. Okay. <laughs> okay. So again, like more of those sort of problematic representations of bisexuality or, or pansexuality. Although yeah. Esri is, I think, shown in a much more positive light than Intendant Kira. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we do still get that sexually fluid equals morally fluid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a fan of. And then Rom constantly getting confused because he's Rom. Oh, Ron. Can I say, though, how much I love – and this episode is a really good example. Um, and again, like I said, I'm rewatching TNG and, you know, like they tried to make the Ferengi this, like, evil something. And you're like, dude, no no one takes them seriously. Uh, and then DS9 really found a better way of per- portraying the Ferengi that just has so much more depth and trying to make them the next big evil thing and not mm-hmm. quite working. <laughs> Well, they're not flying giant croissants, which helps. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they there is an aspect of evil, but it's more like an evil that we can understand about like greed and selfishness. Right. Uh, right. Versus like wanting to, you know, electric whip everyone. 
it's capitalism versus cartoon villainy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Unfettered capitalism. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's disappointing that they, you know, I guess tried to throw a bone like, hey, we can show two women kissing as long as it's the, like, evil mirror representations and that they still didn't feel that they could show that in the Prime Universe. Adds more to that whole idea that um, that being queer is a deviancy thing. Yeah. Right, because the only time they show it on DS9 or, you know, in this, you know, series or subplot, and, you know, when we have the technicality of it being a pre a previous host's wife for Jadzia. Yeah. So, you know, they, they kiss on a technicality. There's a lot of caveats there. Yeah. And um, going back to this blog post again, Ellie, the author, argues that the, the sexualization is also linked with orientalism a little bit in ds9 by like the way intendant kira has these kind of harems because they do really feel like harems in her quarters where she has like you know two men giving her a bath and she's like lying on this half naked guy and a lot of the people that attend her are racialized Mm -hmm. um so it it again just serves to it's kind of take away agency and to make sexuality seem like weird and alien and and again goes back to the whole bisexuals just want to have sex with a ton of people thing mm-hmm. and even if it's oh hey it's a woman you know so you know in in the original series you had the captain's woman and let's you know he arguably probably had a harem type of things so, but hey it's a woman this time and it's still not empowering in that no. sense at all it's it's a very one directional way or you know one way of looking only one way of assuming power happens mm-hmm. yeah okay so we better get on to enterprise which i kind of love these episodes actually um not to say that there's no issues with them but there will always be issues with enterprise i find them really fun to watch the yeah. can i just say it's not the usual intro and that yes. that just made it so much that better. alone that yeah. alone so much oh yeah i mean like the very first scene is like from first contact and this is a scene that means a lot to a lot of Trekkies, including myself, where you see the Vulcans come down and you see Zephyr Cock and greet them. And normally when you watch First Contact, it's got that music and you're like, humans are going to be okay, guys. And then you watch this Enterprise episode and Cochrane just like pulls out a gun and kills all the Vulcans. And then they steal the ship and it goes into the intro that's like to this dark music and it's all these like scenes of war and it's awesome. I appreciate how much that uh, cold open pretty much gives us further establishment of that idea of this isn't just an evil dimension. This is just a dimension where horrible choices were made Mm -hmm. and it screwed everything up. Like, how scared were you of these people who look different than you? Yeah. And maybe that would set the rest of your species on a course for disaster for several centuries because you were scared of people who look different than you. And and in that sense, it's so beautifully aligned with what I think a lot of us think Trek is about, um, which is that you can't just judge an entire race, society, group of people, religion um, by how they appear or even by an individual's bad actions. Like you guys have been saying, it doesn't mean that humanity is fundamentally bad because we've done these bad things. Um, It just means that there are bad people or people making bad decisions. It doesn't reflect on everybody. Yes. Yeah. 
And like the the fascism and the racism are both super visible in this one. You still have that same uh, fascist salute. You also have the mantle where these uh, Sam Brown belts, which are um, like were used in uh, largely the Australian military, but other uh, sort of colonialist militaries. That it's like the the belt across the waist, and then there's like a sort of sash belt kind of thing going over your shoulder the double belt in case your elbows wander off <laughs> yeah google it uh or look at that post on our blog because it talks about it um and their uniforms especially the admiral's dress uniform uh looks you know like the medals are much more prevalent the patches the the mako uniforms um actually don't look that different but they're wearing like black gloves so they're scary <laughs> <laughs> But then we have women in crop tops again. And this is like, what, 2003? With the crop tops. <laughs> I mean, it, because it's 2003, that's why there are more crop tops. Have we forgotten <laughs> the fashion of the early 2000s? Uh, spare me. Yeah, I mean, so Ellie, the blog author, says that for her that doesn't work because by the time we got to that, the whole crop top thing had already been like, a fad and out because of yeah. people like Britney yeah. Spears and stuff. So that putting it in there just seemed like really. Oh yeah, it's not. It's definitely not a, a not edgy for it. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not justification for them doing it. It's, it's ridiculousness. And a lot of them don't have the awesome abs. Mm. I mean, Hoshi. Yeah, had, Hoshi has some pretty great abs. Hoshi has some sweet abs. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Ahura is really more, you know, like I was saying earlier, we need to do a who wore it best because Ahura is like, she's got that definition. Yeah. yeah. I am, you know, and that, like, it's not just about having a flat stomach, it's the definition. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I mean, so logistically, I, and I wonder this about the mini skirts too. Like, don't you get cold? Like, I would be cold, just like, even if I looked that good in that outfit and feel like, look, this, I'm just kind of cold right now and be back in this metal seat and it's kind of, you know, not nice. And just the whole concept alone of a midriff bearing jumpsuit outfit. It I have the purpose of, of a jumpsuit. It boggles the mind. It Plus, really like, does. Hoshi apparently just has to hang out in the captain's quarters in a bra and panties and a negligee, like reading books while she's waiting for him to come back and maybe want to have sex. Which seems annoying. Yeah, sounds boring. And, and again, I would just be cold. Yeah. yeah. Just get me a sweater. Hey, how <laughs> about if I wear this sexy cowl neck? <laughs> so I kind of like Mirror to Paul. I feel like she's, you know, she's the one who's discovering that in the Prime universe that Vulcans aren't slaves and trying to sort of foment a mini rebellion of her own with flocks and... uh the Saval and stuff like that to be like, yeah, we don't actually have to be treated like crap just because we're Vulcans. And Archer is like super racist to Vulcans and basically kicks off anyone who's not human except for Flocks because he thinks Flocks' people are like inherently not resistant or whatever. So that is kind of a type of attitude that we are somewhat familiar with. Mm-hmm. I like that we get to Paul as the proactive character in all this. It's not Which surprising, is, though. I, yeah. I think it's very surprising knowing how she is in, in the series Enterprise in general. That's It seems like something she would do. It fits headcanon, at least for me. Yeah, and it definitely also works as a throwback to Spock being the one who ends up making the big change at the end of Mirror, Mirror. Just, um, I think I'm very grateful for it, because if I had seen 
to Paul put in the position of like Captain's woman or something, mm. I would have flipped my damn shit. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't have put it past it, tier it uh, Enterprise during certain points. Yeah. I just don't see T'Pol as the character who could play like a manipulative, like a woman who's using her sexuality to manipulate. Yeah. But the fact that it's Hoshi is also, again, like tying together women of color with sexuality. Yeah. Which is uncomfortable. Um, although sexy women with knives. So when Andy gets to that, she has something to look forward to. Yay. Good for Andy. And I mean, of course, she ultimately deceives everyone and takes over, which is freaking awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think I was just disappointed because before I saw it, I knew that she becomes the Empress and I didn't know that it's the very last scene of the second part. And I'm like, no. Why couldn't that have just been the entire second episode? In fact, why couldn't it have been both episodes? That would have been (laughs) rad. I mean, there was talk, I believe, of holding the entire fifth season, if there had been a fifth season of Enterprise in the Mirror Universe, and then we would have got to see that. And I actually think that could have been pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know how it would have worked or how we would have ever got back to the Prime Universe or cared about it after watching a whole season in the Mirror Universe. But Probably not, no. Yeah. But, yeah, it's cool that Hoshi ultimately just was able to not just like preserve herself in her position as the captain's woman, but elevate herself above that. Yep. Very Machiavellian of her. Like a little, like a little Machiavelli in a, in a negligee with, mm-hmm. with a six pack. Good for her. Isn't that what we all just want to be? Just want to be. At the end of the day, yeah, <laughs> ripped, <laughs> ripped in Machiavellian. That's going to be our new catchphrase. <laughs> Uh, episode title. <laughs> episode title. Um, no, but, you know, to to your point, I, maybe it's some attempt at validating these women or, or you know, not validating, but, you know, putting them in a, in a position of power by showing her, you know, taking control, um, you know, although, you know, one can argue all these, these feminine wiles arguments. It just, it's just a, sort of a tired thing by the time you've watched all of the Mirror Universe episodes. It's funny, you know, because oh, I've definitely, yeah. Right, like I've wa- I watch them so far apart from each other. And when you watch them all in one go, you're just like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Women can use their sexuality for gain. I get it. Right. And yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, God, like, I don't think women are as obsessed with using their sexuality for political or social gain as much as dudes think we are. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why, like, Mir Paul is a little bit refreshing, because, yeah, she's got the crop top, but she's not, like, seducing people to get what she yeah. wants. Like, surprise, we have other capabilities. And, yeah, and Archer actually says, like, he's not killing her because of her capabilities, and he's talking about, like, her sciencing skills. Right, yeah. right. So that is, like... I feel like a a step in the right direction. Although I was very disappointed that the only scene where T'Pol and Hoshi interact is the cat fight in the hallway. That was unnecessary. Oh, right. Yeah, because she does actually. Sorry, I forgot. T'Pol totally does use sex to get what she wants because she mind melds, mind meld assaults Trip Mm. uh, to trick him. And but like Hoshi and T'Pol are basically like, uh, you know, T'Pol accuses Hoshi being a slut and Hoshi... Like basically accuses her of being bad at sex. Well, you know, because women can't handle being around other attractive women. We just get threatened, and that's yeah. what we do. They must compete. They cannot cooperate. Like ferrets. If another powerful one is nearby, we attack. Yeah, I take back what I said. Miratapal was moderately refreshing, except for the part about Trip. It definitely did seem, though, that she had more of a range of options to her than pretty much all the other, like, than Hoshi, than... Then Marlena. 
agency. Yeah. She had more agency and exercised it at least. Like she was the first officer. So, and even Hoshi had a job as well. Like you see her in her uniform working on the bridge. So it wasn't just like, I mean, they do show her just like lying in bed waiting for the captain, but she actually also had a position in this, in Starfleet in addition. So, uh, so complicated. It's really like, I mean, it's just as, just as fraught, if not more, to be like, here's what we're going to show evil looks like as to say, like, here's what we're going to show good looks like. Right. Yeah. Can we tangent and imagine what Mara Mara would look like? Well, I guess, I guess you sort of did with talking about the comics and the books that talk about Mirror Universe and TNG, but can we, can we imagine an episode? Yeah, I love sure. doing that. Like, I love evil Deanna. I love evil Beverly. I think evil Beverly would be awesome. Ooh, yeah. Right? Because she's always like, you know, mommy figure. She's so not like just not evil ever. Yeah. Let me let me just float this idea to you guys for a universe where there's evil Beverly. Evil Wesley. Like I feel like that's focusing. not as much of a stretch. No, I'm just saying, think of his chaotic power that he seems to have of screwing everything up, but concentrated for evil. <laughs> Imagine. Just or uh, so wait so does does Mary Universe Evil Riker not have a beard? Dun dun dun! <laughs> oh no! Or they both have beards and then you can't tell them apart. It's like, <laughs> and then what would you do if you had Mirror uh, Mirror Riker, Prime Riker, Mirror Thomas Riker, and Prime Thomas Riker, and you could have two Riker witches at once? <laughs> <laughs> One is just completely bald, but with sideburns. <laughs> or like mutton chops or something. <laughs> Mirror universe. I want to, you know, now I think about it, TNG people were just, you know, they were, they were just so nice all the time. Most of the time, at least. So I'm trying to imagine like Mirror Universe Jordy. Like, what would he do? You know, it's like, haha, oh that's salt instead of sugar. <laughs> He's just I'm a like... merry prankster. That's your idea here. <laughs> and he like respects women. <laughs> And Mirror Picard just, like, can't string two words together. And he loves babies. He's Vin Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> Mirror Picard is Vin Diesel. And daddy daycare. Um, any other final thoughts? I'm interested to see what else can be done with the Mirror Universe. But please, just try and think outside of the women using sex for power box. Mm -hmm. It's a little old. But, you know, if you must have a crop top or two, okay. But maybe you could, like, equal opportunity crop top it. Yeah, tastefully crop topped. But with everyone crop top. Top, crop all the tops. Crop all tops or crop no tops. Both. New slogan. <laughs> or men in miniskirts, women in, in crop tops. Yeah, okay. Any combination of those, really. <laughs> Basically, they have cast some attractive people for Star Trek Discovery, and I am eager to see them all in crop tops. Yes. We had a great time today. Thank you for joining us and listening in. Uh, Jera, where else online can people find you? You can find me on Tumblr at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com or on Twitter at Jera Penguin. And Ruman, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at rutchowd or on my website at ramanchowdery.com. And if Andy were here, she'd tell you you can find her at First Time Trek on Twitter. And I'm Grace, and you can find me at bonecrusherjank. Awesome. And if you want to get in touch with our show, you can email crew at women at warp.com or find us on women at warp.com or on Facebook or on Twitter at women at warp. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.